Welcome to On Strategy Showcase. I'm Fergus O'Carroll in Chicago. You can follow me on Twitter at OnStrategy1. That's the number one, OnStrategy1, or on LinkedIn. This is an episode from the 12-episode series I produced for Wark. They're all Wark Awards for Effectiveness winners. In addition to being available on the Wark website, they've agreed to make them available here. And all of them are winners from uh, 2021. If you're interested in submitting for the 2022 awards, they're actually now open for entries. The deadline is coming up. It's March 2nd. So you've got, at the time of this recording, roughly four weeks. And I encourage you to, to check it out and get ahead of the game. Good news is that they're very easy to enter and there's actually no entry fees. And if you want to learn some more, you can go to work.com backslash awards backslash effectiveness. And for those who don't know, work is W-A-R-C. That's work.com backslash awards backslash effectiveness. So here's the episode titled Test Drive from Lexus in Hong Kong. It's a 2021 award winner. Enjoy. Hong Kong, for those not familiar, is one of the most densely populated cities in the world. It has seven and a half million people on land that's one third the size of New York City. Traffic is so dense that the government has tried to curb sales of new vehicles with massive surcharges up to 115% of the vehicle's sticker price. So with very limited market growth to depend on, Lexus had to rely on stealing share from the big three German luxury brands. And achieving it with the launch of an SUV that was smaller than the competitive set would make it a tougher than normal challenge. The team identified an underserved target and invested in branded content and the lower funnel test drive experience to increase both lead flow and conversion. At its core, this is about the creative use of data to personalize the test drive, but it's also a great example of how budget reallocation within the customer journey can make a real difference. And while the unit sales goal for this campaign was small, it does reflect the challenges the Hong Kong market represents for automotive brands, particularly if you're in the luxury segment. So here to share the strategy story is Jerome Uwe, Executive Creative Director, and Terence Ling, Head of Strategy at TBWA Hong Kong. So congratulations on, on your uh, work award for effectiveness for Lexus. It was a silver award for customer experience and personalization. Um, I'm excited to have this conversation because, you know, I've, I've, I've worked in automotive before, so I understand some of the uh, dynamics that we're going to talk about today. And I uh, very much understand the importance of the test drive. So it's exciting to have the chance to talk about this. And uh, Hong Kong being a... Um, being a, a unique and distinctive market, which we'll talk about in a second, also makes the challenge and the importance of the test drive uh, even uh, even more critical. But let's start first, uh, Terence, if we could. Can you, in 30 seconds, can you describe what this case is a great example of? Sure. Am I am I going to hear a chime or something at the end of thirty seconds? I mean, no, but, no, uh, I'm not going to. I'm not going <laughs> to. Uh, my next, maybe that's a, a new feature we'll introduce to the show, but go, but not today. <laughs> Ticking clock in the background. Yeah, 30-second challenge. Here we go. Uh, so I feel, I feel that it was a great example of using data to disrupt both campaign planning um, and customer experience. Uh, so, so using data 
um, at the time we were able to identify a sweet spot in the path to purchase that offered the best leverage in, in, in terms of generating the actual sales. Uh, it all, we also used data to create a personalized experience that supported small businesses um, whilst helping uh, Lexus ultimately become the third biggest player in Hong Kong's luxury auto market. So we, we feel that, that for us, there was a lot of learnings of that. And so we, we felt um, that's what it's a good case of. So with the, just to sort of set the stage, um, TBWA in Hong Kong, does it handle does it handle the general market advertising for Lexus or, or, or are you guys focused on specialized aspects of the of the customer journey? Yeah, we were the um, we were the agency to help out with all of their uh, uh, all of the new vehicle launches in, in Hong Kong. So and we were also helping out with across the board, uh, different scopes of marketing. So we actually was not defined by a particular marketing scope. It wasn't that we were necessarily the traditional or digital or uh, experience advertising per se. We were always kind of more of an overall creative agency role. And that's why I think we, in this particular case, were able to apply thinking towards the whole journey to help us think through what was the best solution. So when we, so when we talk today, uh, we're, we're obviously focusing on a component of that journey, uh, but were there other sort of demand creation tactics at play? I mean, were you guys also creating uh, display ads and, uh, and sort of TV uh, streaming ads and in addition to launching this program or was the entire program centered around the test drive experience? Yeah, the, the test drive experience was actually a core part of a, a full funnel journey um, for our prospect uh, lead generation work. So at the top end of that journey um, is actually where we had a lot of different types of branded content um, on social media, digital advertising, search tactics uh, to really drive uh, leads into a, a core uh, web experience where people could understand the product a lot more, um, find out a lot more about uh, um, the, uh, uh, the, the actual uh, personalized test drive that was um, being introduced to them and then sign up for it uh, directly on the web, uh, uh, web page. And then ultimately the offline experience continued with the test drive itself. And then in, in the digital experience, we continued back um, through a personalized um, follow-up approach. So salesmen would be using the CRM data that they've, would have gathered by that point to to follow up on such leads and then ultimately uh, drive that uh, ultimate conversion. And, so, and just one follow up on that would be yeah, yeah. just to just to make sure that we're clear before we get going. So small small business drive as a theme was that the theme of the sort of um, of the digital display advertising, or was small business drive something you didn't discover until you got into the web experience and you got a little bit further down funnel? It was more mid. Well, it was. It depended on the phase of the campaign. the The overall campaign um, was uh, hinged by uh, a, a bigger campaign platform called Finder and Beaten Path, and um, and then we we also had a lot of different types of themes under that. Um, and for example, we were trying to be able to um, also capture some leads from very uh, lifestyle contextual. Places, so certain portals or certain apps that were able to really uh, find prospects who were, say, interested into 
um, uh, uh, fashion or interested in dining out or interested in uh, uh, craft or interested in nature. And we would be customizing actually our, our content and our, 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 our messaging around such lifestyle interests in the first place already. Um, but then we were also actually doing partnerships with locations to introduce this concept of a small business drive um, through display advertising as well, and also through uh, part partnered programs. So I would say it was a mix of where, uh, like a mix between top and mid funnel content, where we introduce the the test the the very unique test drive experience itself. Great. Thanks for that, uh, for clearing that. Um, hey, uh, let's talk about Hong Kong as a market. Um, can you can you tell us, uh, Terence, a little bit about what's unique about it uh, from a vehicle market perspective and what impact that has on how vehicle marketers can brand and position? So the, the Hong Kong market is a quite a difficult market. Um, because it's a it's it's a very very congested one in, in both a, a literal sense and also in terms of market share. So, this this is a um, you know it's a small city. In fact, it's uh, the road network we have is only one seventh uh, that of London's apparently, and we even have sm- uh, uh, less roads in Singapore. Um, and and so the government sees traffic congestion as one of their major issues to tackle. And they've been raising the first registration tax um, three times higher than what it was three years ago. In fact, at the top bracket, it's now at 115% the price of a car um, uh, uh, to, to buy a totally new uh, uh, car in the market. Um, so, so the government, in, in, in effect, have been deliberately trying to curb the growth on this market. Um, plus the fact that we have actually a pretty good public transportation system, our, our, our underground uh, system or uh, MTR is how we call it. Um, it's, it's, it is very efficient and you know, people really depend on it for everyday commute. It, it's not actually quite surprising for, for locals to, to, to hear that the whole overall market has been slowing its growth. Like the, the net first registration of cars actually fell 16% in three years. So it's, it's it's I think it's a combination of the fact that it's been curbed by the market and uh, curbed by the government, and as well as the fact that we have a very strong public system um, um, anyway. So it, it's interesting for for those listening in the U.S. There's 7.5 million people living in Hong Kong, and it's one third the size of New York City. So congestion uh, is an everyday factor, and mm-hmm. when you're when you're promoting an SUV in a city mm-hmm. such as Hong Kong. That comes with a, a series of challenges, and, and I'm wondering, I'm wondering, Jerome, can can you uh, give us a sense of what the Lexus UX vehicle is? And this is the vehicle that's at the heart of of this program. Can you describe it and and who you feel it competes against? Yeah, sure. So the Lexus UX um, is really the entry level into the Lexus brand itself. So it's uh, as you said. Um, it's a subcompact luxury crossover SUV, which really means that it's, um, think about a hatchback that has higher ground clearance. Um, so it has a small turning radius and then which makes it very nimble for a car in the city. Um, and the platform for the UX itself is really in the name, right? It's, uh, um, UX being the urban explorer. So that's really what the car was designed for, uh, urban exploration. Is it fair to say, though, that 
that it's competing against um, the uh, what we think about as the luxury the luxury brand set, which um, which I think is is really interesting, Terence, because you've got the the typical big three uh, luxury brands. And um, then you have Lexus in Hong Kong. So Lexus being Japanese, and we have the big three German brands. What's the dynamic between these brands in, in the luxury segment? Yeah, it's, it's very interesting because the Hong Kong market, um, in a way, I, I would say it's, it's, it's still quite backwards when it comes to the consumption and, and, the, and the perception of, of a lot of different types of luxury brands. So the top, the top three, and they, and they actually call them inside the industry, the German three, um, are namely BMW, uh, Mercedes-Benz, and Audi. And they together take 82% of, them, of, the, of the luxury sector. Uh, Lexis uh, in 2017 only had 7%. Okay, so so the very big reason why I say it's, it's a very backward market is because a lot of the um, luxury car buyers still very much see um, luxury cars is 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 a is is a is a, is a badge of status. So and the these German cars um, is still very much more status living lifting, um, more prestigious, more of this kind of true luxury um, that they want to be seen with. Um, and in comparison, Japanese brands, Toyota, uh, Lexus is part of the whole Toyota group, um, and Japanese brands in general are view- viewed as very, very reliable, um, very practical, but more just everyday and 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 maybe more vanilla compared to the very, very prestigious German three. And so that culturally has actually always been um, a, 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 a challenge for for Lexus in this market. So what's interesting about this is when you step back and you've noted this in your case study that since there were sort of policy issues and restrictions from a government point of view, there was saturation in terms of of, uh, congestion within the market. So this wasn't about growing a category in order to build share. You actually had to steal share. So growth had to come from stealing share. So you, you in many ways had to go directly uh, either implicitly against these big three. Uh, and you also had to deal with the fact that your vehicle was sort of a small-sized SUV or a crossover versus they they did not have small size. They had the, the kind of mid-size as the entry point. So that obviously creates a challenge, but also an opportunity. And, and, and how did you look at it, Terrence, um, when you were faced with that? Because initially I'd be like, Oh my God! I, I seem to have many things working against me. Did did that sort of freak you out initially? For sure. I mean, and the clients were always every day in the in the boardroom with us talking about these problems and how it's it's very very tough for them on an everyday basis. Um, the, the 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 German three because of the large um, uh, market share, it also means that they they are um, naturally having more cost of sales to work with, and therefore they have a much larger um, uh, annual advertising spend. And I think it was the, the on average they were their, their spend was about two point four times that of Lexus. Um, so so there's there's that size um, uh, uh, disadvantage. Um, as a as a as a company, and then what you just talked about is a size disadvantage in this particular category, which uh, was called the medium luxury SUV market. So Audi had their Q3, BMW has their X1, 
Uh, Mercedes has a GLA. These are very, very successful SUVs in this in this segment. And Lexus tried to to also crack that segment previously with a model called NX. And um, the UX was their next uh, crack at it. Um, but like Jerome was saying earlier, um, the, the, it, it is a much smaller SUV. In fact, it was, I think typically we calculated it to have uh, 35% on average less um, uh, leg, head, and shoulder space than, than the direct competition peers. So there was this double whammy of a problem whereby you know, we're a small company, people prefer European cars. And um, this particular model, in fact, was particularly small. So how are we going to sell it to, uh, how, how are we going to sell a small uh, SUV for, uh, in, in this kind of a very, very well-guarded market? So the client comes to you guys at some point, and what do they, what is the ask they have of you and what are their specific um, business and marketing objectives? Hmm. So this is a company um, they're part of Inchcape Group, and Inchcape Group has a number of uh, uh, automobile brands that they have uh, 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 distributed rights uh, for in Hong Kong. Uh, and they 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 basically are a very very sales driven organization. So their main business objectives was the uh, a, a clear goal of a number of units to be sold during this campaign period. Um, from that, uh, it was. It would be able to help us win market share over our competition because, like, like you also correctly pointed out earlier, the fact that this is a shrinking market already, um, there was no choice but to only be able to grow and and achieve those units through winning share from others. Okay, um, so the main marketing objectives that they actually focused more on were also closely linked to that. So it was lead generation, um, it was sales conversion from uh, completed test drives, and it was then as a next step, almost as a secondary way, um, what was going to need to be the campaign awareness and engagement metrics in order to achieve those leads. So Jerome, you, you're, you're in this meeting or you hear the results of this meeting. You have a sense of the vehicle. Uh, what are you sort of initially thinking or what are you initially concerned about? Um, the, f- the first thing was that um, the number of units uh, in the in the objective, not something that would it's not a high number, but in terms of um, the previous sales for the yeah, other models, you know, it is an aggressive number, uh, and it's uh, within a very short period of time. So one of the biggest challenge was really um, how fast are we able to get people from lead generation to test drive and a significant number enough to be able to convert, to be able to achieve that uh, number. And one of the, one of the main uh, concern was also that in Hong Kong, there's literally only one um, flagship Lexus showroom. So wow. in terms of opportunity of getting a test drive, you know, it's, it's actually quite limited. So, very quickly, I think uh, we were thinking about like, how can we expand um, the number of places that we can actually do this test drive. Terence, can you share what that unit sales number was just yeah, to give yeah, people? It a- yeah, yeah, it was it was it was a goal to sh- uh, achieve 120 units over the campaign period. Okay, and and was the sh- was the campaign period uh, a, a limited? I think in a short uh, window. Yeah, time it was period? only a month window. One month. Three, three months. Three months. Three months. Excuse me. So, um, so you you have a you you have a sense of of what the goal is now. You have this limited 
you have this limited sense. Did you know at the time what the typical conversion was? And because uh, I'm I'm curious what why you suddenly went immediately to sort of conversion metrics in term in terms of your minds. So you weren't thinking about we've got to we've got to build a uh, we've got to build awareness and consideration. I mean, your heads immediately went down funnel to conversion, which is smart, of course. But I'm curious, was there a reason for that? I mean. Uh, well, the way we did with this particular campaign was we tr- we we actually tried uh, an experiment, which was uh, this reverse way of a planning of of the entire campaign plan, um, using the path to purchase, but but looking at the ratios from the other round. And the reason why we did this was because we we this was never actually really identified ever before. Um, so what we, this is literally how it went that day. Cause it was very vivid in my, in my memory. Um, how it worked was by that time, we actually had already, um, aligned with the client, uh, strategy work on what was the overall positioning and who are we targeting and, um, 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 what for, the, for the UX, for the UX. Yeah. For the okay. campaign, you know, what was the general, uh, um, what was the general uh, positioning of the car? But then we 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 wanted to really work with them on defining what were the KPIs that we wanted to achieve, we needed to achieve every step of the campaign, and and then therefore discuss what was the shape of the campaign. Okay. Yeah. So 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 what I did was uh, I got all the clients in in a very small room in Hong Kong. Well, all my meetings room in Hong Kong are rather small because uh, space is a very big, is the biggest luxury in Hong Kong. Um, and then we got the media folks also in, in this meeting, uh, in this meeting room. And I stood in front of the whiteboard and I say, and I, and I went on the right side, right at the end. And I said, okay, so what's our final number we need to hit? Okay. So it's 120 units. Okay. So I wrote that down. That's the end goal we need to get. So I asked um, normally how many um, people uh, uh, would buy a car after a satisfactory test drive and um you see all of these uh mid-level marketing managers like scrambling through pa- uh, pieces of, of of excel sheets if you printed a password going into their their pcs and fumbling through their folders and trying to find that old file and then uh, after a while they managed to do okay it's on average uh one in three so about 33 percent would uh buy a car um, after a satisfactory t- uh, test drive, okay? Okay, great. So I r- wrote down 33% conversion, right? So then uh, that means we need to have three times of that number of test drives in order for us to have 120 goals, right? Uh, uh, 120 cars, right? Very simple math. So how many people turn up to a test drive after they've confirmed a test drive? So apparently um, it, uh, it depends on whether or not they've been contacted by a, a salesman to confirm ahead. Um, once uh, they have been confirmed, um, 50% normally show up. Great. So that means we need five zero, uh, five zero, fifty percent. Yeah, fifty percent. One and two turn up to a test drive after con- confirming, right? So by now we need seven hundred and twenty-eight uh, or so confirmations of a test drive. Right? We need double the amount, right? Then how many people confirm? So seventy percent people confirm. So that means we need about a, th- a thousand different uh, a thousand bookings. Where do we bookings coming from? Oh, it turns out that bookings are coming from leads. So, and 25% of, of, of a lead would actually go towards making a booking. Where do leads come from? The leads come from this traffic to, uh, uh, to the webpage and 2.25% uh, of, uh, of the traffic that arrives on the website actually make a, make a booking um, and, uh, uh, sorry, become a lead. And, and so that helps us figure out how many traffic we need to have in the first place on the actual uh, web page, and then therefore, what is going to need to be that ultimate reach 
through our top funnel content, right, out on social media, plus our display and so on, um, what, what would be the total audience they need to have in the first place to pull that amount of traffic into the top of that funnel, right? Then after having laid this all out um, beautifully, um, I asked a simple question. It's like, how much money have you got? And it turns out they have this amount of money for media and this amount of money for production. And then I asked the media guys, do you think that amount of money based on your average you know, CPMs uh, and CTRs in this category, do you think we're going to be able to secure this amount of top funnel? And then they were already shaking their heads and it's like, you know, I think already that's a stretch. And so I said, you know, we need to make a decision. You know, are we, if we, if we have, we have, we have a choice to make that we are either going to really focus on the top funnel and like ensure we can like uh, achieve what we need to achieve at that point there, um, given that it was already a stretch, or why don't we actually shift a little bit of that media budget into production of the test drive and lift up the conversion rates, not just from 33%, but maybe by 10 basis points, maybe by 30, 40% and, or, and, or lift the show up rate a little bit further up so that more than 50, more than one, one or two people turn up. What would that happen? That would have an even bigger impact on the ultimate sales goal than just the 10% uplift on the top funnel of traffic. And it was so clear. And then everybody, including the media folks, all basically agreed that that was actually the best decision to make, that if we were actually to focus our limited resources on enhancing that uh, creatively, uh, that test drive to achieve better show up rate and a better conversion out of that, that's the most powerful way to help us achieve that final goal. So, so, so everything was- then everything then was rooted, um, and, and that was certainly vivid. I loved what you just said. And I think that everybody who's listening to this episode needs to rewind two minutes and listen to that again, because that's the sort of mastery of, of channel we all need to have. Brilliant. You've created this understanding that you, you've got to increase uh, conversion during the, uh, during the actual test drive process. And you've got a very firm grasp of that. So the question becomes, who do you ultimately target? Were, did you you know, we talked earlier about the need to go after the competitive set. Um, how did you approach defining who the target was for this smaller urban vehicle? Sure. So in this particular case, um, we, we also tried out something we, we didn't do much of in the past, um, um, which was to use a single source platform um, that we had subscribed to um, in Hong Kong, uh, in this particular case, it was using Nielsen's uh, solution for us. Um, uh, I'm not sure if I'm not to say that brand name. If it isn't, that just oh, that's fine. Ahead. Yeah, well, yeah, go right ahead. Um, so Nielsen's solution helped us um, give gave us basically a a database of um, of, of of surveyed respondents in Hong Kong. Um, who responded on answers based on their demographics, their psychographics, um, attitude statements that they, that they agreed with, um, their purchasing behavior. So for example, have they bought a car? Do they intend to buy, intend to buy a car in the next 12 months? Uh, what is their average income? And, and so on and so forth. And so what we, when we were playing with that, there was this simple tool that we played around with called um, cluster analysis. Um, so this is a weird... Um, planners um, freak hobby, if you may, sure. to basically jump into this, this, uh, this analysis tool. And what you do is you throw in a number of attitude statements um, and you are able to then, um, through, its, uh, through the cluster analysis output, 
see the market in a very different way than what you would maybe normally do through just normal demographic segmentation, right? So rather than just saying that, oh, it's all 30-somethings like this brand a little bit more or all 40-somethings like this one, what we found was actually there were different types of car buyers and they actually had different um, personalities and different uh, um, tastes towards cars. And the one prime market that, uh, segment that we found for this particular car that we found was most uh, suitable was this uh, segment that we called uh, uh, the, the change hunters. So they were, uh, in contrast to maybe your very typical, very flashy alpha male type of a segment that buys luxury cars to flaunt status, the, the change hunters were the ones that were actually quite fed up with the whole luxury car scene. Actually, they were the ones that were thinking already of maybe a Tesla or a Mini, um, but not necessarily because of its functional aspects, um, not necessarily because it was an electric car, per se, but it was actually also because of what they represented, which is the anti, um, a, a very fine luxury car, but it was anti mainstream anti the big guys kind of car they you know who why is it that luxury always has to be another german car why does it have to be one of these german threes that are just everywhere uh, already in hong kong and and these change hunters were almost like uh, what the what we can see them agree highly on are a number of uh, statements such as uh, having a keen sense of adventure um wanting to pursue a life of challenge and change um and, and, and very interestingly you also saw that they were more likely to be females compared to the average car owner in Hong Kong. And that also was significantly uh, or just slightly, slightly, but then you never, you don't often see that in any of the segments. So, so that's why we, in our content planning, actually um, focused on females in one pillar of our content. And we found in female uh, local influencer, who was a, like a fashion influencer, who was part of our whole program. And, and that turned out to be very effective to us to, to gain uh, a large number of female audiences uh, to be interested as well. So the, the, uh, why change hunters? Were they, they were looking for ways to self-express that didn't involve the establishment? Or, or, how, or yes. how would you yeah. label it? We called them the, plus, uh, the change hunters because not only they were... They were uh, um, they, uh, 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 they, they really agreed with those values uh, that I just spoke with. But we can also basically identify a number of them in real life. And the more we talked to them, uh, we were able to find how they really resented these kind of old school luxury values. And they really wanted to like break out of status quo in a number of things that they were having in life. And, and this is a very much compounded um, I, I believe at the time, you know, in a city that's, you know, where, where a lot of things are, 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 um, up for change in their view. There's a lot of things that they were becoming very, very discontent of in the city. And, and part of that was this, um, urban culture, um, that was very much, um, uh, um, being killed by these notorious property prices. You know, one of the interesting things that you guys write about in the paper is, Things that were going on culturally uh, within the city as as a result of of um, saturation of population of, of of things like real estate prices. What was it that was happening in the business community that you thought might be an interesting way in or an unlock uh, for a creative strategy? Um, so one of the main thing about the real estate prices is that being one of the most expensive in the world, um, all of the main um, high streets are dominated either by 
uh, fashion chain stores, or a lot of it are, uh, we are like the H&Ms and everything else. So a lot of the unique businesses are driven out from high streets to corners of the city or the very unpopular parts of the city. Um, and as well as being a small city, it is actually a very vertical city in terms of places of business. So a lot of interesting shops or businesses find themselves in the 20th or 50th floor and, and it's really away from street view. So that really presents the opportunity about discovery and exploration. Yeah, this is the interesting thing. So you 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 look at you look at change hunters, Terence, and you see you see some sort of characteristic in their personality, the desire for the desire for new experiences, the desire for adventure. And then you sort of do you make that leap to try and find a sort of a parallel dynamic that's happening in the city that you could that you could lock onto this idea of of uh you know how do you find how do you find interesting things to discover in a in a city where things to discover are becoming less obvious? Well, I mean, we we have, as I'm, I'm sure you've heard of this approach in in, in Tibet called disruption. So it's 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 something that's we we basically are all um, living with disruption blood in our veins um, as Tiburayers for for uh, so we we kind of apply that thinking in almost everything we do, and and what that means is. Um, is uh, what we call conventions is something that we want to break. Okay, so every time we find a target, we actually really try and find what's that enemy we want to kill. What's that cultural tension, or what's that thing that I can actually break here um, that will really help us um, position ourselves totally in line with what this target audience values more than anything else. So, so when we found this segment, then we were able to just uh, uh, deduce that culturally there was a simple tension that they were finding everything in, in Hong Kong to be um, so cookie cutter to the point that Hong Kong is no longer a place where you can really feel that they can explore. And, 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 and that's, that's crucial for how we think about how do we sell a urban explorer, right? If, 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 if they don't even feel that the place is worth exploring anymore, how, how can we sell an urban explorer? And so that, that that core tension that was identified, I think, was pivotal to how we we therefore identified that strategy, which is that in order to sell an urban explorer, there is no choice but to actually make the city a better place to explore. We 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 actually had to recreate the exploration experience itself um, in Hong Kong um, in in order for these change hunters to see that finally there is a way for me to properly get the thrill of exploration with the ux yeah i think the way you framed it in the case uh, paper was great you said uh, how do you launch a car built for urban exploration in a city that is no longer deemed to be explorable yeah 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 nicely right. framed so you've you've identified the uh, the the segment that you label as change hunters the market size for that is 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 just 253,000 targets mm -hmm. um but you say that really all you needed in terms of a conversion rate off of the 253,000 was a 0.05% conversion rate. Mm -hmm. Did you feel at that point in time that that was very achievable? Um, based on other um, 
uh, references of what we've done in the past, yeah, yes, I mean, we did feel that that was achievable. Yeah. So then you go, you go to uh, Jerome and the creative team. Um, Jerome, what's what's the initial conversation that you're having? Have you are you already thinking that we need to has a decision you know being made that yeah we're going to go after making the urban exploration different, or was that something that came to you after you had been briefed? Um, I think the first thing is that we start to look into the test drive itself to look into how can we make it a much more interesting part of the car buying journey. So typically for any vehicles, most of the time a, a test drive would be 15 minutes, you know, up and down the block. And then after that, you know, there's a lot of sales conversation that happens with the sales agent. So um, very quickly we figure out that, you know, the opportunity at test drive itself, it's crucial to be able to build an entire experience, not only about exploration, but also an introduction to the Lexus brand. Because again, it is an entry level into, into Lexus. And a lot of the people that we are talking to are either not, uh, uh, have, have not owned a Lexus before or don't necessarily understand the brand very well. So by, by looking into the test drive itself, um, I think the decision was really to look into the lifestyle element and how do we integrate that part of um, the whole experience. Yeah, so for, for, for us here in the U.S., I think test drives are experienced in very different ways depending on, on where you are in different parts of the world. But for us in the U.S., we think of a test drive as I drive my vehicle over to the dealership uh, or in some cases, um. they'll, they drive to me sometimes. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I get out of my car, I go into the showroom, and, mm-hmm. and a salesperson then gets in the vehicle with me, and we drive literally around the block a few times. I mean, that's pretty, or you, maybe you get on the highway if you're lucky, and you're back. So it's about the, the functional feeling of driving the vehicle and getting a sense of the aesthetic of the inside of the vehicle. Um, that that for you wasn't really a great way to do it because you've got massive amounts of traffic in Hong Kong and you know the the value of driving a car and then being stopped on the street uh, was a would be I, I assume a major factor. So did you have to design and and how were you able to design and make the experience different or more rewarding? Um, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely it. So. Um... Part of it, yes, the congestion. So a lot of the, a lot of the experience were mapped out right from uh, from yes, you know, consideration of the time, the, the places where the test drive will begin, um, and as well as um, by using data, obviously we are able to look into different paths or routes that uh, the test drive would take that will avoid congestion, and also they are they lead you to more interesting parts of the city. But I think critically as well, you know, by using uh, the, the driver's uh, social data, we are able to map out specifically the things that they are interested in and we are able to lead them to these places that they have uh, not been before, but as well as right down to the things that they actually like, the experiences they actually like. All right. So we have to we have to slow down here because that's that's pretty interesting. So how does this happen, Terrence, that... Uh, maybe maybe take us a step by step 
through the through the test drive experience. Um, I I'm, I go down funnel. I um, how are you selling me on the importance of this and the uniqueness mm-hmm. of this particular test drive before I even sign up for it? Sure. So the, I mean, uh, let's let's say okay, we 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 stand from the point of view of of, of, a, of a prospect, right? Um, uh, one of these change hunters that we are trying to um, lure her in. Okay, so say she first actually gets a first impression of um, uh, the pro, uh, UX from some of our branded content, um, um, maybe through our, our pushed uh, social media content or the influencer content that I talked about. Um, um, and maybe she also is in touch with some of the digital display that's uh, contextualized to fit those uh, lifestyle verticals that I talked about, right? And then she, so she already has a first impression, we hope at this stage. And then she she may see a, a, an invitation for this customized test drive experience through our partnership with uh, Classified, which is uh, um, this, uh, a local coffee shop, for example. And uh, uh, she she then basically uh, searches for the the, the 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 brand, and our our search uh, 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 tactics capture her and bring her directly to the product page, where she learns a lot more about the UX, and she learns about uh, the small business drive, and she learns that this is actually going to be a, a bespoke experience that's personalized uh, towards uh, uh, just for her, and that she will be taken to a surprise location. Uh, that she uh, she does not know of, um, and that uh, uh, she she will be in fact be able to book it at a preferred place and time for herself. So she arrives. Um, our uh, U.S. ambassador greets her, and um, she arrives. Uh, she arrives where? She she arrives at a, at a at a preferred location, right? So say it's one of there's one, multiple choices of locations in the, around the city. So one of the locations was this like very hipster area called Tai Hang, and so say she she comes to Tai Hang, um, and then uh, the ambassador greets her, offers her a cup of coffee, and then says, you know, would you now like to hop into the car and log into your Facebook account? So there's a, an installed iPad inside the UX. Um, she logs in and um, uh, it asks for her permission for for us to basically um, access um, her interest uh, and uh, uh, location data. So the, uh, um, the, 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 the team uh, spent a lot of time producing a, an algorithm that was able to crawl her interest and check in data. Um, and uh, uh, it also combined that data with uh, data from business listings data um, from Google and other p- uh, public APIs. Um, it was also able to look at the road condition and traffic types that uh, of, of different routes that could take her to different places. And then it recommends three different places. So it recommends three places that are based on her interest and at a, at a, at a district that she doesn't go often uh, previously. So let's say in this case, it finds out that this prospect loves interior design and um, Kuntong is one of the areas that she doesn't go much uh, towards. Um, so she t- it basically recommends uh, um, this uh, uh, place called 21 from 8 uh, to add Kuntong to her, and then she selects it and th- she's navigated towards that. Um, and then along that route, she's basically deliberately led onto different types of terrains that don't have traffic jams <laughs> for, 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 for once um, and also are able to kind of deliberately uh, let her experience the car's versatility. 
when she gets and arrives at the destination with the ambassador, is there something, does she go inside? Is there something happening inside the destination? Yeah. Yeah. So she, she, she arrives, um, and very often, just as Jerome said earlier, it's one of these old factory buildings that looks a little bit scary from the outside. Um, but then once you go up, um, like, for example, it was a 21 uh, from 8, it was actually a woodcraft workshop slash uh, Italian bistro. And so she's presented with this card um, which actually has complimentary spending credit from Lexus. And she, she can either uh, use it right now um, or, and, and the ambassador would just drive the car back or, um, you know, she can save it and use it at another time. But at least at this point, she is really embarked on this kind of experience of exploration to a place that she rarely goes to in the building that she's never been into to find a, this kind of urban gem that she never knew existed. As we wrap up here, can we talk about uh, the results? And if you could do it in the context of objective and then, so, you know, from yeah. to, so objective to actual result achieved on various metrics, that would be terrific to hear. Yeah. yeah. So, so the main objective, like, like I said, was the, the, the sales objective. So for the 120 units uh, that we needed to achieve, we achieved 174. So, so that meant we had beat the goal by 45%. Um, and then uh, the, in fact, uh, um, um, we were actually becoming the best-selling medium luxury SUV for the quarter. So we actually managed to outsell BMW's X1 by 40%. We outsold Mercedes-Benz GLA by 200%, and we outsold um, uh, Audi's Q3 by uh, uh, 16 times, in fact, during the same period. Um, We also outsold our own uh, NX by 2.5 times, um, uh, so help me help me understand because I, I'm uh, I'm trying to I'm a little slow when it comes to these numbers sometimes and the analysis of them. How did you so dramatically outsell the major luxury brands when they had eighty two percent share versus the seven? Are you talking just in the mid level segment? Yeah, just in this medium luxury SUV segment for this quarter. And why so, why do you think that was? Was that because was there a reason why their sales were a lot slower? Because they didn't really have that sort of crossover vehicle. Um, I'm just trying to get maybe you can give me a better sense of it. What what happened with them that you suddenly outsold them by such a significant degree? Were they quiet? Were they dark during that period of time, or was it a? I mean, this is this is a this is a launch for a UX at this time, right? So it's it's it is not. Um, it is actually a fair expectation for a car that's being launched at that period to, because of the nature of the heightened marketing that's happening at that time, um, for for that to probably be one of the particular better selling uh, models in, uh, uh, against the competition in, in that time. But right. I think the reason why we could outsell by that much during this time was very much about how um, right at the beginning, we we're talking about, you know, how we needed to really drain a much faster and, uh, and, uh, and more um, uh, higher probability conversion uh, 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 journey. Um, through through the, through what we have mapped out, right? So people turned up to the test drive, booked a test drive as soon as they could. People found the earliest date that they could book book it for, right? In fact, 
um, right at the beginning, I remember actually the, the dates were, were like very, very soon booked out and a lot of people were hoping to get it earlier because, and they couldn't because uh, uh, they, they, it was just, the calendar was just full. Um, so it, the exclusivity actually perhaps even created even more and more uh, heightened demand for that test drive to happen very quickly. Um, and then so the test drives maybe were, 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 were secured and, and completed earlier than usual. And then as now what we can see from the data, it is very clear um, that the, the test drive also uh, enabled more people to turn up. So rather than just the 50% that we remember we originally uh, uh, knew was from the average from the past of how people show up from a test drive, we achieved a 65% show up rate. And the test drive also achieved um, a higher conversion rate. So not just one in three, but actually 43% of the people who did the test drive converted and bought a, a car after uh, at the end of it? So I, I feel it is certainly very much because of the test drive that helped us achieve such a, a significantly higher uh, uh, number of sales in, in that quarter against the competition. I think it's it's a terrific example and such an interesting uh, case study. I've really really enjoyed spending time with you guys. So it's the Lexus Silver Award for customer experience and personalization. Uh, congratulations! And for for those who want to. Uh, for those who uh, would like to um, see the uh, case study, it's available on work for members. Or, of course, if you're not a member, you can request a, a demo at uh, work.com. Um, thank you both. Uh, Terrence is head of strategy at TBWA Hong Kong, and Jerome is executive creative director uh, in, in that office. It's a great case, and I'm really excited to have, have sort of taken a wander through the journey. Great work. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you for your thank, thank you for having us. And we'll see uh, we'll see everybody in the next episode.